Welcome to episode 120 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. How's it going, man? It's been a couple weeks. Uh, JP, it's been a very busy time. Obviously, Big 12 Media Days was last week. Um, yeah, I had to go to Houston for a family reunion. It's been it's been nonstop. It's been nonstop. Yeah, it's been busy for sure. I spent last we were supposed to record last week to wrap up Big 12 Media Days in a timely manner, but I got pulled to the uh, to the ball field and the One Oak Field in Tulsa and. Uh, Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City for five days in a row. So that's a lot of driving, a lot of miles, and uh, not a lot of time for me to actually do anything for the site. So, but it's been, it was fun. Uh, obviously, I, I enjoy free baseball. Can't turn that down, but uh, I miss recording and I'm glad we were able to get some stuff up today. Yeah, this is fun. Um, this was, this was fun. Uh, there's a little bit of rambling. We got a great interview. Um, I've got a point to make before we get all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Before uh, before Philip gets into what he wants to talk about with the basketball non-conference schedule, we have a fantastic interview with Adriana French, former Oklahoma State goalie, currently current goalie with the Portland Thorns FC in the National Women's Soccer League. But more importantly, she was on the women's U.S. Women's National Team that just won gold in the Women's World Cup in France. So how how awesome is that? That's probably one of the best interviews, if not the best interview that Philip and I have gotten. Since we took over the podcast, it was awesome. Adriana was fantastic, and we can't thank her enough for her time. And then Micah joins Philip and I. Obviously, Philip and Micah were at Big 12 Media Days in Dallas last week, so they break down everything there. We talk everything from Oklahoma State, Gundy, Les Miles, and then we ramble about the schedule. It kind of goes a little long, but I feel like we're at least entertaining enough that people want to listen to us, maybe. I don't know. Somehow. I like to think that I'm smart I, and that people I, might like the things that I say. I'm not sure because no one ever says anything, so I can't tell if they're just being nice and not telling me I'm terrible or just just stop listening. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the only reason people listen to us is because they really like Oklahoma State and they need the content. So uh, I'll, I'll take that at least. Yeah, that would be nice. No, the uh, – uh, to – to piggyback off of what you said, Adriana French was is the best interview we've had so far, both in who who she is um, and just the interview itself was fantastic. You guys are really going to enjoy that. Um, I, yeah, we did. Like it was great. She was fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome. So before we get into those two interviews, I know you want to talk about the uh, basketball non conference schedule. I know people have been complaining that it's not a good schedule and all that stuff, but. I'll Boo. let you say your piece bull. here real quick. Go, go okay, ahead. Okay, bull, bull, bull. Okay, so here's the thing. And we got into this in our Slack chat of, A, understand something. I'm a scheduling junkie. Like, uh, the day the non-conference schedule comes out is always, like, a big day for me. I love it. I'm weirdly excited about it. I get weirdly excited about scheduling. I don't know why. That's not the point. So the schedule has come out. Um, we've got a, a, a very interesting na- a schedule. Um, got some nice names early. You got your your ORU, your UMKC at Charleston, Yale, Western Michigan. Uh, you get the NIT season tip off. We're going to play Syracuse in Brooklyn. Then you'll play either Penn State or Ole Miss. We get a game against Georgetown in that Big 12 Big East crossover thing. Uh, you get a game against Wichita State in Stillwater. Travel to Houston, Minnesota, and Tulsa, uh, southeastern Louisiana, just to wrap up the the early part of the non conference with a nice here you go. And then they announced today that. Well, it's been reported so far. Oklahoma State will f- travel to Texas A&M for the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Look, I get it. A&M is coming off a really bad season, has a new head coach. Minnesota's okay. Wichita State had a bad year. Georgetown is not the Georgetown you, you'd think of. Um, 
Houston lost quite a bit from last year's really talented team. Syracuse is always Syracuse. Penn State and Ole Miss aren't going to get you all like, ooh. And then those first five games of ORU's garbage, UMKC is not great, Charleston is Charleston. Uh, Yale is not the Yale that it was last year, and Western Michigan, I, I got nothing. I, I, I really just – I don't – there's a team I don't follow. It's not a schedule that's just like, oh, wow, look at those names. Look at that Michigan State and that Duke and Kentucky. No, but this is a schedule that for a team that's returning really five guys that matter from last season, your five starters, and has a ton of freshmen and a graduate transfer as a backup point guard, this is a perfect schedule. It has some names that excite you. Who doesn't want to watch us play Syracuse? Who doesn't want to watch us play Georgetown? Wichita State at home. If you're a, an OSU fan in the Houston area, you can go watch them play Houston. There's a game in Tulsa against Minnesota. Like I'm going to go to that one. No, the names aren't Dukes and Kentuckys and, and, Al, and, and Michigan States. But this is a team that is trying to have a challenging enough non-conference schedule that it doesn't keep them from getting to the NCAA tournament if they're in contention to, but also have one that's not so challenging that like last year, they come out of it. So with a record that's just, it puts you in even more peril when you get to conference play, you need a challenging non-conference schedule that is respectable, but that you can get wins out of. And this team just needs to win games. The big 12 is brutal. It ain't going to be easier next year. And this is an OSU team that is so young. And yeah, they have talent and we're all very excited, but they need to get to the NCAA tournament. Boynton really needs to try and get there in year three. He hasn't made it yet. We can gripe about year one, but they didn't get in. This team needs to get to the tournament. Like I'm not saying Boynton's fired at the end of the year if he doesn't, but this team needs to get to the tournament. Uh, you can continue to get all these five stars and and Cade Cunningham's and everybody intrigued in the program, you can land these four stars and get these guys committed, but they've got to do something with them if you want that momentum to continue in recruiting. Wins matter. You're playing some solid opponents. You're playing a schedule that this team can – you get five games for this team to get their feet under them. ORU, Kansas City, at Charleston, Yale, Western Michigan. That's five games plus if you have an exhibition game to get things – figured out before you hit the meat of the schedule. And it, it, the meat comes in a clump. Syracuse, Penn State or Ole Miss, Georgetown, Wichita State, at Houston, Minnesota. Those are in a row. So it's set up well. You're going to get a, a consistent number of games that are interesting. You get Georgetown and Wichita State at home. Minnesota in Tulsa. I think it's a good schedule. I like this schedule, and it's a perfect schedule for what this team is. You can't just take a schedule and look at it at face value. We're not Duke. We're not Kansas. This is a team where you have to take the schedule into context, and in context, this is a good schedule. No, I absolutely agree. I think this is a perfect schedule for a team like this. I say you know, extremely young, even with the experience of guys that played last year on a young team. With that many newcomers, especially freshmen and grad transfer, it's going to be tough to come by wins, but I think the schedule at least provides chances for it. And, you know, even if they get a win that they probably shouldn't, that just helps a team chemistry and just morale in general. I think they played such a tough schedule last year that it just kind of defeated guys. And obviously, and then you're playing in one of the tough conference, the best conference for basketball in the country. It's, it's tough to come by wins, especially in conference play. You got to get, get in good footing right away. 
And I think the schedule provides that. I am so excited to watch them play like Syracuse. I know Syracuse isn't the Syracuse we, you know, we're used to seeing, but my God, it's still one of the best teams in the country in the ACC. I just hate that I have to watch that chicken shit two, three zone for 40 minutes, but whatever. Um, but I love that Georgetown's coming to town. I think they're playing teams that we don't see very often. And I think that makes it more fascinating as a fan. You know, yeah. I, I would go and watch Georgetown play at Oklahoma State, even if George, you know, even though it's Georgetown now and not Georgetown, you know, however long ago when they were one of the best teams in the country. Minnesota's a proxy home game. Wichita State, even though Wichita State isn't as good as they were four or five years ago, that's still a really good non-conference game. I will go and watch that. So there are games that even if they, you know, the team isn't the, you know, blue blood mid-major that they were a few years ago, they're still a solid team and it would be a solid win on a resume. Look, if this is a schedule where they always play a thirteen game schedule, if they come out of this eleven and two, that's a that's a win. Like honestly, because no you look at the Big Twelve this year, I, I, the Big Twelve is so good and so deep. If you finish top seven, you've got a really good chance of getting to the NCAA tournament. Yes, if you can go even ten three in this non conference schedule. Because there's enough, there's going to be enough quad one and two wins in it, and you're going to get enough plenty of good wins in the Big Twelve, and you don't have to deal with many bad losses in the Big Twelve. If you just avoid the bad losses and get some good wins and go ten three here, I then you're then you're set up because that's 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 what you want with this team. Like I know we all want them to go thirteen and zero, blah blah. blah. This team just needs to win because it's, you know, they just need to win. Like yeah. they, after last year, you need to win. Uh, you need to not have attrition. You need to not have players leaving in the middle of the season. You need to not have issues with the law. You just need this team to come out, take the momentum of the excitement from the recruiting and from the guys who join the team and actually produce something on the court. I'm not asking for a, a one or two seed. I'm just asking for a tournament team. Exactly. Even if it's a seven seed or the last team in, I don't care. I just need to see it. I just need to be able to watch the March Madness this year or next year and be able to root for OSU in a game. Yes. I, as cool as it was to watch the crowds fill up during the NIT, it's not the same. You have to get into it. Even if it's a postseason tournament, you have to get to the final 68. And I think this is a team that has the chance to do it, but it starts with winning these games in non-conference. And I think they have a good chance, like you said, to go 10 and three, 11 and two. Uh, going back to the Georgetown, I know this is, stupid and funny whatever um if it, when they play georgetown if it goes to overtime can we not play the five minute overtime can we just get a dunk contest between mac mcclung and cam mcgriff can, can we have that please that yes. that would be way more fun and less heart-wrenching for me they've got to spread these out a little bit more like that is syracuse penn state or Ole miss georgetown wichita state at so and syracuse penn state or Ole miss are a neutral site georgetown wichita state at houston minnesota and tulsa that's no, that's not final four teams, but that's one, two, three, four, five. That's potentially, I would say that right there is at least four tournament teams and two vying for tournaments in a, in a row. Like that is yeah. almost a Big 12 run. Yeah, I've done this out of preparing for conference play. Now they need to win, and I think they lose one, maybe two out of that stretch, but that's, that, yeah. that's going to show them how, especially to the freshmen 
how much of a gauntlet conference play is going to be. Realistically, I think this is a 10-3 and non-conference schedule when you throw in that road game at A&M. Um, it's Billy Kennedy's uh, first yeah. season. They're, they're going to have some guys there. They weren't good last Buzz, year. Buzz Not Billy Kennedy. Sorry, Buzz Williams' first season. Billy Kennedy just got fired. Um, I think A&M will be better. I think it's going to take them a year before they're good again. It's at A&M. OSU's 4-2 and two in this Big 12 SEC Challenge. I, but both games, both losses have come on the road. You know, I don't know. Um, I think this. I think this is a ten and three non-conference schedule. I do. And if you go ten and three in this, and can you? I mean, it puts more pressure on Big Twelve play. You've got to find. What do you play? Um, Eighteen games. You really want to go nine and nine? If you can, that's hard. Eight and ten, seven, eleven. Like that's you got to go ten and three in this. I think I really think they do if they're going to get in. But I think they can. I think it's a ten and three schedule at worst. I think it is, and we'll have, you know we still got a long time till the uh, basketball season starts. But I think this at least gives us a starting point of what we can expect from this team. And it's a young team, but it's a talented team. And I would not. I don't see. You know, I don't think ten and three or eleven and two is out of the realm of possibility. Before this runs too long, I'll have a word from our sponsor and then our interview with Adriana French. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, Philip and I are joined by Adriana French, former Oklahoma State goalie and currently with the Portland Thorns, but she was also a member of the World Cup winning 2019 U.S. Women's National Team as a backup goalie. Adriana, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to be honest, this is a, a huge treat for us um, as as an Oklahoma State podcast and fans of Oklahoma State. And I've been I mean, I, I followed the soccer team for a while. And I remember when you were still wearing orange like this is the first. It's just it's really neat to see an Oklahoma State player because, you know, you don't when you think of OSU, the women's soccer team is probably not the first team to pop to your head. But to see an OSU player on the Women's World Cup team was really a, a unique experience as an OSU fan. And I kind of want to start just from there. What's some of the response you've gotten just from kind of the Oklahoma State fan base? Oh, so many go pokes. It's not even funny. Um, absolutely love it. Um, you know, being from Kansas and going to Oklahoma State, like – just the years that I've had, I had there, it was such like a growing few years. Um, and I was so excited as like a high schooler to be a part of a top 25 team. And then, you know, like kind of making history, the group that we had going to elite eight back to back and different things like that. in such a small town, like a lot of people who they're like, 
okay, you went to Oklahoma State, but like, where is that? I was like, oh, you know, it's a small town in Oklahoma. I got to love it. And, you know, it's, it sh- it, that's shown by the amount of love. Like as soon as OSU started posting and um, about the fact that we were in the World Cup and everything, like I was just sent messages on messages like, oh, I remember you went from class. Like, um, God, it was it was so good seeing you back when you were playing. It's so awesome that you've continued on and different things like that. And it's been definitely much appreciated and um, can definitely t- tell the OSU family always sticks together. Yeah, it's very cool to see someone from Stillwater and from Oklahoma State, you know, getting represented on the national stage. So, you know, you played for the Portland Thorns here for a couple of years, decorated goalie the last few seasons, but obviously getting named to the national team is an extremely high honor and a big deal. What was your immediate reaction to being named to the to the women's national team? <laughs> well, uh, the coach actually uh, called all the players and – um, I was actually on the, a stationary bike doing a little workout when I got the call and my phone was hooked up to the Bluetooth and, uh, it, it started going off and I looked down cause obviously like the music stopped and something rang and I saw, uh, Jill Ellis on my phone and I was trying to get out of the bike, like unclip my, my shoes, grab the phone, turn off the Bluetooth and try to answer all at the same time. And while I was breathing heavy as well. And, I was like, hello. And like holding my breath at two when she was talking and then she started talking. And as soon as she went to go say the words, the phone cut out and oh, no. it like the service messed out. Uh, and so the call freaking ended and I'm like, then I'm able to breathe, but now I'm panicking. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what'd she say? What happened? And uh, yeah, I, I, we ended up calling back and she was like, did you hear me? And I was like, no, can you repeat it? <laughs> and then, yeah. So then I was like, she said it and I was speechless. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sure for her, it was probably one of the most calm phone calls she's had because there wasn't, she couldn't see everything that was going on here at my house, but it was, it, I was over the moon. And then as soon as I hung up with her, I called my mom straight away and it was just like kind of that same feeling I had like college was so important. And like the fact that, um, when we signed and we made a decision to go to Oklahoma state, it was like, Hey mom, I made it. And then like, it's kind of a continuation of those like little moments. It's like, Hey mom, like we, (laughs) we made it the dream that like I've been putting uh, like since I was a kid and all the investments and all the, the drives to Oklahoma state to watch the games, like all those different things, it all kind of came full circle and it was pretty unreal. So going into being at the world cup, obviously that's a, an incredible experience. And even though you didn't get into a game, what was the experience like being there for that, those, that three weeks to a month with, you know, some of the best players in our country. That's, that's the beauty of it, right? Is like you get to train every single day with the best players in our country and the best players in the world, you know? Um, and that's the thing, being a goalkeeper, everybody knows, um, everybody who's a goalkeeper definitely understands the position that it's, it's one person playing, but uh, like it's three people training. And that's the same thing that, happened at OSU that's happened with me with um the Portland Thorns 
And like every single one is important. And because at the end of the day, at any moment you could go in, you have to be ready. You have to be at the top of your game. And, um, while also supporting the number one keeper because we want her to do as well, because at the end of the day, we all have the ultimate goal of winning and that's what we did. And like, we got to, I mean, I didn't get to play in the games, but I also got to experience, okay, what is it like when you have a game, you turn around, you train, and then you bust to a new venue and within that same day, and then you have one or two trainings before your next game. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. How does your body react? What is it like? What are the different scenarios being adaptive? All those other things um, that apply that, you know, not a lot of people get to see. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's an experience. And the different things that I've adapted to, I can just only add to my life in general. So kind of walk us through, what is what was your role as the the backup i mean i i think i saw that you were the, the third string and there was some question but i mean as a third string goalie like what is your role on the team what 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 are you doing to to help the team prepare for games during games as, as someone who didn't didn't get to see the field oh there's so many different ways um that a goalkeeper can help um depending on the personality sometimes it's vocally off the pitch um sometimes it's vocally on the pitch during training there's opportunities that you know different players are in different places so a player who has played 90 minutes um might only be looking for to do some shooting technical things that you jump in goal for or um the players who played 45 minutes might do a small-sided game where now you're in for um, you you get your technical training, but then you're you're there for the team and what what is asked of you and what is asked for the team. So that can be jumping in, like I said, with for forwards, or that can be hitting long balls for uh, defenders to take stuff out of the air. Um, it's being there every single m- meeting, understanding what the tactics are, always communicating, learning. Because the more you communicate, the more everybody kind of understands. Um, it's doing footage and scouting on other teams, other players, and, um, you know, always being prepared and supporting the goalkeeper and the number one keeper for whatever she needs. You know, if, um, she's doing crosses, do I let her catch a few or then do I, um, go and put a little bit of pressure on her? What does that look like? What does she need to feel confident, good, and ready to go? Um, if, she needs most of the reps, then I have to take a step back and she gets most of the reps. It's, there's so many ways in which you can help a team. And that's, um, it's, it's really a beautiful thing because, um, there's two people to do that. And the goalkeeper position, you have to create a union and a group within that competitive environment, um, is a pretty rare find. And I think we did pretty well with that. So you guys had some pretty fun and memorable games at this World Cup. Which one or which ones are you going to remember the most or stood out the most to you um, during the entire thing? Oh, man. Probably with I, – I, I keep going back to um, people asking me kind of what's my most memorable moment. And it's really when I listen to Eric, saved that PK because any goalkeeper coming into this position for the U S women's national team, um, there's been a lot of talk of 
the shoes that they need to fill. That's just sports in general, right? Like somebody's come before you, you have to fill those, those shoes of the player before. And, um, I've, I've kind of come to this conclusion of like the only shoes that you need to fill are your own. And that's what Alyssa did for herself. You know, she made a statement, um, and it wasn't in a way of like, look at me, I'm, I'm here. I'm better like than what everybody's saying. She just played, she just played the way that she knows how she has worked for it. And, and so has Ashlyn. And so have I, and it just, it was a moment for me to realize all the work that all of us have put in um, to just just play, be who you are, because it's good enough. So take me through the moments after the final whistle against the Netherlands. You win the gold medal, you're world champions once again. What's the immediate reaction? Obviously, it's incredible, but I want to know what, is, what it was like you know, to be around everybody. Ah. <sighs> that silence <laughs> no words. um <laughs> uh yeah going just i'm getting chills just kind of thinking back on it you know they they took a picture of us um from the bench running onto the fields towards everybody and i wish i could put into words what that felt like but all i would be doing is screaming <laughs> so i'm i uh, to walk like I play with the Portland Thorns like we get at least 17,000 fans a game and and so we get to play I get to play in an environment every home game on a regular basis where the fans are going crazy and it's a massive game but the World Cup like the fact that we had 50 some thousand people at our game and it was just, it was roaring the whole time. And every single one of those players have worked so hard for it. And you just see it all over their faces, like not a, not a sense of relief. It was just, it was so much pride and excitement that like people couldn't control them themselves. There were tears, there was laughter, there was, like there, I mean, people jumping all over the place. I'm pretty sure one of us got injured celebrating so much at one point. Like, you know, it's it's everything that we've worked for. It's, it's the dreams that we have made reality, and that's there's no words for that. That's just. I mean, I I can't even imagine what that experience would be like. Sometimes I have to pinch myself because I still can't believe it. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I was nine years old watching the 99 Women's World Cup. And, like, I've been wanting, that's where I wanted to be. And, the like, whether I'm playing or not, the efforts and energy that I put in to to make the team and just be there is all worth it, whether I was playing or not. And it's it's such an incredible experience. So then you go back. So, you know, obviously there's not much of a break here. You, you know, you had the celebration, I believe it was in New York city and then you come back and now you're playing again for the Portland Thorns. How's the season been, uh, since you come back uh, from the world cup? Well, coming back, um, the team has done well, 
to have us be in, still in a good place for, um, you know, the NWSL championship. So we won a World Cup and, and that has been great and we'll continue to be proud of the experience and, and ride that. But now it's, it's already back to work um, because our goal, our ultimate goal was winning a World Cup and our other goals are winning NWSL championships and the players who have been here working hard, that's their goal. And so any of us coming back, that's, we want to give all of our effort back to them because they supported us leaving and um so we're going to do the best that we possibly can to keep this going and make sure everybody else experiences their their championship um as much as we can help it you know um but yeah it's now it's for me it's getting back into games and getting back to understanding what system we're in you know hopefully i don't set up the wrong corner i oh we're with the back with the thorns it's a different corner setup than it is with the <laughs> national different things like that you know you have to be careful with um but no it's it's fun to be back with the group that i've been playing with, with for like three years now so um it's all exciting within itself how does that transition go of playing with these this group of women that you obviously have a very, very strong bond with on, on the women's national team and then going back to the Thorns and really having to compete with with many of them on the other side of, of, of the field in the NWSL. What is what is that transition like? How do you how do you keep that camaraderie and keep that competitive edge of of like, I love you, but now I wanna have our team like destroy you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just back to our trainings every day, you know? Um, that's what made the, the national team so great is, you know, when we go out and we train, like when we're on opposite teams, we'll do 11 v 11 against each other. So, you know, like uh, we'll be playing against Alex and Megan, um, on one side of the field. And, um, so it's not really that much different, you know, off the field. Hey, Hey bud, let's go. Let's, let's hang out. Let's do this. Let's do that. But as soon as we get on the field, if you're on the opposite team, whether that's in training or a game, we're here to do work and win and win. It's it's a competitive environment, and that's what makes these players um, get to the level that they've gotten to. And you know, at the same time, it's also awesome to come back home with a few of those players and and train every single day as well. So, you, well, let me ask this. Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Wow, sorry. Um, okay, so you were at the World Cup and. It didn't get to see the field in action. Uh, obviously, that has to be a goal of yours. How do you think you go about trying to achieving uh, achieving that? How do you how do you think you go about becoming the the U.S. Women's National Team goalie on the world stage? Um, I continue taking the steps that I've been taking uh, because the last couple of years here for the Thorns have put me in a good position to be named on um, named on the roster and go to this world cup. And so for me, it's a growth mindset every single day, doing the things that you can control and, and try not to worry about the things you can't and be a sponge as much as possible and take as much as you possibly can. in. and that's what I did with the world cup. Like for me to understand what that experience is going to be like, that gives me an understanding of what, how else I need to prepare. Are there, I, can I tweak something there? Can I do something different there? 
what's the difference in the levels from the NWSL to the national team? Um, it doesn't matter what league. It's just like you jump from high school to college. That's a different level. You jump from college to the pros. That's a different level. And the same thing, you jump from the pros, like the, the pro leagues, then to national team leagues, leagues. There's just another level that you have to start competing at. And, and that's just getting the time in, training in it, adapting to it, learning. And that's the only path that I have. That's the only choice that I, I can make. Those are the things that I can control. So I, I go back to just what you said about 10 minutes ago, talking about playing in front of 17, 18,000 uh, for Portland. And that's one of the best soccer cities in the country. But then I looked, I'm looking at the attendance numbers for the NWSL and there's a pretty significant drop off after uh, your guys at the Portland Thorns for the NWSL. What does Portland do so well to support its team? And what could do you think that the rest of the league could take from what Portland does to help grow the game and help grow the NWSL? Oh, it's usually a tough question. Still is a tough question. There's so many different um, things to consider. You know, the, the great thing about the Thorns and the Timbers is it's one club. It's um, everybody who's working on the men's side, work for the women's side. They understand what it's like to market and how to market. They might market things just a little bit differently, but um, that investment is placed on the women's side as well. And, you know, the thing with the Timbers and the Thorns is there's so much tradition there, you know, with the Timbers and where the stadium is and how the stadium's built and um, just the traditions that the Timbers have brought to the city it was an easy transfer for the thorns because the, the, the fact that it is soccer city, so many people love it and they continue to show their passion. And anyone who comes into Portland normally knows there's a Portland thorns or timbers game because of how many people just enjoy and spread the love. There's so many car decals. I can't, every time I see one, I want to honk, but like I would just be laying on my horn the entire time I drive <laughs> because there's so many people who just enjoy it. I mean, people camp out for it. It's, um, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of tradition, right? Like you pass it on generations after generations. And, you know, after this world cup, seeing Chicago, their last game, they had, um, maybe 16, 17,000. And, um, that was a big race for them. And I hope that that is a, the start of something that continues throughout this league. And, that comes with different men's teams supporting women, the just different investments in the women's side from um, marketing, money investments, um, training, training facilities, um, training staff, boots, cleats, all those different things. We have to hold a higher standard for the, the women's side to help um, people understand that it is a professional environment. You've uh, you've got a, a game tomorrow, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. But I, I did want to ask a couple of things related to OSU. Um, first of all, obviously OSU has their beautiful new stadium. Have you had a chance to check it out? And how jealous are you that you didn't get to play in it? Oh, the stadium! Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. What was it? I think spring, maybe. I was able to go and I 
am so blessed to have met Neil Patterson, um, who, you know, helped. I mean, that stadium was his dream. And I met him after one of our games. I believe it was the Texas Texas Tech game. And we won the regular season uh, championship. And, um, yeah, just being able to be a part of it still is so unreal. Definitely jealous. But I also have the Thorn Stadium, the Providence Park that I'm able to play in. Um, but I know people before me were jealous of what we had. The fact that our pitch, our pitch was beautiful. The one that we got to play at, at OSU. And there's alumni that come back and they're like, we didn't even have this before. You guys are so lucky. And we're like, yeah, but we're supposed to be getting a stadium. So it's really just, man, I'm appreciative of what I had and I'm appreciative of what the other play, the players now, what they have, because that just shows how much is growing. And hopefully, uh, I don't know what it looks like for the student section, but hopefully the student section is just as big as it was when I was there, if not growing, because the fact, the amount that they put in on the, I think it's north or south side. I don't know which north, side it is, north side. but the students on the north side, like how, how, like, how could you not, especially when you're able to uh, bring the paddles? Like I, I'm going to bring my paddle back when I come back to o- an OSU game and I'm going to be over there on that side pounding the paddles. <laughs> so what is your connection still to OSU and, and what have what can you kind of say about the the current state of the of the program? Was it just last year they won, or was it two years ago? Um, I believe last year they they wanted the champ the um, conference championship. It was two years. That was two, uh, years two, ago. Years ago. two years ago. Two years. Ago. Last year they had a ton of injuries that derailed the season. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Haley. Um, I spoke with Haley quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's tough with any programs, just the fact one you have, if you have injuries like that, I remember that was that, I think that happened a little bit my senior year and, um, you know, it's depends on the class size and what you get. Sometimes you feed three seniors out. Sometimes you feed eight or nine seniors out. So it all kind of depends. That's tough when you when you have nine seniors come out who have a lot of playing times, and you got to replace those and um, freshmen coming in learning. Um, just the fact that the program had another championship just two years ago, like that's massive, and it continues to grow. And hopefully, um, kids around that area continue to see that um, it's a place to be able to play, and it's it's a beautiful place to play. Stillwater might be small, but it's it's not quiet. It's not a quiet town. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Adriana, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fun interview. It's just you're one of the best guests we've gotten to have on here. And congratulations on once again we're getting the gold medal in the World Cup. And good luck with the rest of your season with Portland. We'll for sure be cheering you on, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it on the podcast sometime soon. Thank you very much for having me, and hopefully see you when I get back to Stilly. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I, I live in Stillwater, so just give me a shout, and I'll definitely love to meet up. Uh, will do, definitely. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, take care. Thank you very much.
joined by Micah Allen, and she and Philip are going to break down their time at Big 12 Media Days last week. Uh, I'll let them pretty much take the lead on their experience and what was going on. But Micah, how's it going? It's going good. Just getting ready for to start going back to school in a month. I'm not. I'm not ready. I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not going to miss that when all this rolls around. At all. Yeah, I I was free for a year and then decided to come back. I don't know why, but you know. <laughs> I guess a master's degree looks good on a resume and stuff. I'll get there eventually. But you know, I'll let I'll let you guys, you and Philip take the lead. Like I said, take us through kind of your guys' experience at Big Twelve Media Days uh, last Monday and Tuesday. I don't care who starts. I'll edit that out. Well, it was my first time ever going, so it was really overwhelming, and I felt like a little kid in a candy store. There was just, like, so much to see and so much to to take in. But, yeah, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it was both of our – we both popped our Big 12 Media Day cherries um, in Arlington. <laughs> I, like, here's the thing. It was really, really cool. And it was a really neat experience walking into AT&T Stadium. Um, I guess I'll be blunt. Um, it was a really cool experience. There's some things about it that I come away from going, okay. Like, I, and I don't mean to be unappreciative of being there. Like, it is an experience I will never forget. It was super cool. Really enjoyed my time there. But like, after you get past the fact that you're in AT&T Stadium, when you're standing there on the on the 50 and it's empty. It feels just like a big empty building. And because it's so big, everything in there is so spread out on the field. I mean, the radio row to where we did press conferences to where they did the breakaways, like it's so spread out. It just feels huge and not like, ooh, like the seeing the Coliseum in Rome huge, just like it's just a huge building. And after that initial like shock and coolness wears off, it's just kind of a big empty space. Yeah. Well, and it just, they could have, I feel like they could have used it better too. Like, I don't know if the press conferences should have been on the field. Oh, no, they should have. Like, it all should be on the field. I don't have an argument there. Um, the, the comments that I heard was that the last year when they did it at the Star, it worked a little bit better because it was a little bit closer together. There wasn't just so much empty space. It wasn't as spread out. So you felt a little bit, it felt like there were more people there, but when it was that thinned out, it did feel kind of empty. I mean, your stands are completely empty, which is weird. Um, okay. So all that griping about it, like it just sounds really bad. I'm just like, it's, it's an understanding experience of, but then you get to work and it's really cool, but then you're working like it's fun. And you get that with initial awe, and then you're just sitting there, like taking notes, listening to coaches, listening to Bob Bowlesby. Um, you're you're prepping stories, you're writing, um, you're you're coming up with story ideas. Then you take, then you eat lunch, then you do the breakaways, which is incredibly intense. Like it's, I can't think of a, of as many things where you have two hours to try and get as much out of it as possible. I learned so much about what to do better next year. Yeah, uh, same. I think more than anything else was like, okay, now that I have a better understanding of how to handle this, I will kill it next year and do an okay job with it this year. Yeah, and for me, I learned that I might not end up going the day that Oklahoma State isn't there next year <laughs> because – on day two, like I got some interviews that I, I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And I think that that was really cool. Like I talked to Sam Ellinger 
um, which was pretty interesting and different things like that. But like, don't really know that it's necessary for a person like for a, for a entity that's focused on one specific team. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was there for land grant Gottlieb and the 1012 podcast. So I wanted to, you know, get as much as I could. Now you had the benefit of, I had to drive back Tuesday. So I was there for the coach press conferences and didn't get to do the breakaways afterwards. Lesson learned next year. Sorry, honey, I'm, I'm staying till the, till the end of the day on Tuesday and then I'll drive home late. So just, heads up because I really would have enjoyed the opportunity to talk with the players that were there on day two from um, Iowa state. That would have been really cool. Um, talked to some of the guys from Kansas state would have been really neat, um, but didn't get that. Didn't have that opportunity, but let's, so let's, this is an Oklahoma state podcast. Um, let's focus on OSU. Uh, Joel, since you are here, why don't we let you kind of moderate this? What questions do you have for us? Well, I first want to go to Micah since she actually got on Fox Sports during her uh, during the interview with uh, Mike Gundy. First off, did you almost pass out when you stood up to ask the question? And two, how cool was it to actually get to ask Mike Gundy a question? Oh, hell yes. I straight up almost fainted. It's fine. Um, but but it was it was it was interesting. He didn't give the answer that I wanted him to, but it's it's fine. <laughs> um, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say that, like, I wanted him to say something like, oh, it's really challenging and, like, it poses all these problems. But he was just like, we all play the same. I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. So, again, talking about Mike Gundy, is the mullet as glorious up close in person as it is on TV? Yes. Oh, it's more – no, 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 no. No, much, much more glorious in person than it is on TV. Like, it is – it is weirdly like a thing of beauty that stinking mullet like in person is just a whole different thing. So what do you guys? Yeah, it's, and he was walking a really, really nice suit too. He's, he's a well-dressed man. He's very much, I am rich in Oklahoma when he, whenever he goes out there, but so then you got to go see the player breakouts with Philip Redwine, Brian, Tyler Walsh, and uh, AJ Green, Johnny Wilson, what was it like to go and talk to those guys individually and ask them questions? Because that's not something we've had the opportunity to do very often at Cowboys Drive for Free. So what was it like to actually go and be around the media and go and talk to these guys? Well, Philip Redwine Bryant was apparently at Media Days at some point, but he wasn't there for breakaway sessions. So I didn't get to talk to him. But um, everyone else was super great. Uh, I talked to Johnny Wilson about um, – the kind of the future of the offensive line and how he's really excited to watch those guys grow up. And then I talked to Tywin Wallace and he just kept getting asked about which quarterback was better. Um, of course. I he, you could tell toward the end, he was kind of getting annoyed, but was still very, very, very graceful and like answered the question. And he, so Jenny Carlson with the Oklahoma and asked him, if the two quarterbacks were throwing to him and he was like blindfolded or like couldn't see him, if he would know who was throwing to him. And he was like, not really, which I'm like, great. <laughs> um, and I talked to Gundy about um, Jim Knowles in his second year and how he's kind of seen his progression in year two. And he said that they're definitely – Definitely, they learned some things from last year, and they're 
they're working out some of the kinks. So overall, I mean, everybody was, everybody seemed like they were enjoying themselves talking to the media. And um, we had kind of a, a, not necessarily I was hunting rattlesnakes all season, all off season Gundy, but like a in between grumpy Gundy and I hunted rattlesnakes all off season Gundy. He was, he was answering questions and not, he was just very, very cool and wanted to talk. So that was awesome. But yeah, I, uh, every, like I said, I enjoyed talking to everybody and I enjoyed getting to ask questions and I enjoyed hearing other reporters' questions and learning from them too. So, so I'll say this. Um, the Big 12 needs to do a better job of you can't put your two most interesting coaches on the same day. You can't put Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy on the same day because then you get to day two. And I know that Tom Herman usually inserts his foot into his mouth, um, but he didn't. So day two's coaching press conferences were kind of like, all right, Matt Campbell's super intense. Um, and that's about it. And whereas day one was Gary Patterson talking about being a cockroach who was in fifth place for his wife till he outlasted everybody else. And Mike Gundy talking about he almost got a haircut from the mullet before he got there. Like, and dropping a line about how, oh, you didn't have good quarterback play in the few years. And then like looks at Barry Trammell, like, yeah, like that Barry. Like the two guys with who had been around the longest and have the most personality were on day one. And they were by far the two most entertaining coaches there. By far. During the press conferences. And I think that continued into Gundy. I, I I didn't get to, because I had to hop around, I didn't get to just sit and listen to Gundy the whole time, um, which was a little unfortunate, but also, you know, talked to some other teams as well. But man, he was, he was happy to talk. And I thought he had some things to say that were very, very interesting and kind of, I think, continue to back up some of our beliefs with when it comes to the quarterback battle and, and kind of how Gundy handles things in his you know, 14th season as opposed to earlier in his career. So this is something I was thinking about when I'm listening to the quotes of him talking about the quarterback, speaking of the quarterback battle with Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders, where in other years, it's very rare for him to go into fall camp and not have an idea of who he wants to be the starter. We knew Big 12 Media Days last year, Cornelius was going to be the guy. It was Mason Rudolph before, and then J.W. Walsh, West Line, go back. He seems very it, – is it concerning to you guys that Spencer Sanders, who's been so highly touted, hasn't taken the job from Drew Brown? Because to me, it's a little concerning, if I'm being completely honest. And I'm not trying to go I, hot take Cannon and all that stuff, but if Spencer Sanders is as good as we all think he should be, and at least what we've been led to believe with, then you would think that he would be able to fairly easily be better than the sixth-year senior. Well, okay, so let's 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 have this conversation because I'm not so much concerned that he hasn't separated himself. Um, because I think based on some of the stuff that Gundy talked about, and we can talk about the fact that he's like, well, you know, um, Drew Brown came all the way across the country to us and we he deserves the chance to play, which is a very Gundy thing. But I, I get the feeling there's a couple things about Gundy when it comes to quarterbacks we've thought for a while. One we know this, he does put a lot into guys who have stuck around the whole time. Guys who have, who have, have, have 
given their time and and whatever to be on this team. Why do you think Alex Kate got the start over Brandon Whedon? He talked about Alex Kate. Um, he talked in reference to Drew Brown and the fact that Drew Brown deserves this opportunity. We we know Taylor Cornelius got the nod last season, and we all saw how that went. I think there's something too with Gundy. He really does look at seniority as something that matters. I think B. I think Westlunt burned him and is still affecting him to this day. I think the decision to start Westlunt as a true freshman and everything that happened with Westlunt between the injuries, the mistakes, and him eventually transferring, I think all of that really still to this day affects him. You know, the only reason Mason Rudolph even played his freshman season is because they had to play him. He would not have played that year had had Garmin not gotten, you know, literally just knocked his head off and Mason Rudolph had to play. I think we're in a situation where I, I I don't think there's any question that Spencer Sanders is more talented than Drew Brown. And that has a much, much, much higher ceiling, but I do have to wonder about, and I need to find the quote, but essentially Gundy's going to put the guy out there who they believe will make fewer mistakes as opposed to the guy who has, the potential to make the biggest, most amazing plays. And my guess is that right now, Drew Brown is a safer pick as opposed to Spencer Sanders, who's higher, who's got a higher ceiling by far, but might have a lower floor right now as a guy who's still just in his second year with the program. And remember, he came in late to camp last year. He wasn't there for spring last season. So this is his first time really getting reps with the ones in this spring with Drew Brown. So I I think Spencer's – if you made me have a prediction, I kind of started to wonder if Drew Brown's not going to start, but Spencer Sanders isn't going to end the season. Yeah, I think Gundy just doesn't want to make any rational – or, yeah, irrational or – just like any rational decisions too soon. I think that's kind of where he's, he's kind of gun shy. Um, and he doesn't want to make a decision he's going to regret. So I think he's just kind of taking his time with it. Yeah. I just, there's, I think he just thinks a lot about a lot of things and I'm not worried about Spencer Sanders not separating himself because if this was a, I talked about this on my show. You know, younger coaches, when Gundy was younger, Gundy was much more aggressive and willing to take chances and risks because they had to at a program that was trying to build something. Um, and, 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 you know, he's talked about before. He was always the the aggressive guy when he was the OC under Les Miles. He's not that guy anymore. He's he's become far more conservative. And I'm, you could say that about a lot of older head coaches. They They tend to want to make sure their team makes fewer mistakes more so than they want a team that's just going to go out and and just try and light everything on fire. And so I think in this situation, I think that both are going to play anyways. Whoever the starter is, I think both are going to be on the field. I've thought this for a while. If you go back and look at Sean Gleason, the new OC's tape from Princeton, he likes to play multiple quarterbacks. Yes, Gundy has said over and over and over again, we're going to, we're just going to run our offense. And I think that's true. I think they're going to run the same offense. I just think that Sean Gleason is, is going to add his wrinkles. I think Sean Gleason's going to take their base stuff 
and find unique twists to it and new looks to run the same plays. And I think that you're going to see – it would be the first time to see two quarterbacks. Remember 2015, Mason Rudolph never saw the red zone unless he was able to you know, score from, from the 35-yard line at it because they would always pull him out and put J.W. Walsh in. So it wouldn't be the first time to see two quarterbacks used. I have a feeling both will play. I just – well, he even said that. He said that if they didn't have a strong decision or like a, a it was still kind of neck and neck in game one, they were going to play both of them, right? Didn't he say that? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it this way. Um, it's it's like 2015. 2013. Thank you. So you started 2013 with Shelf. And Shelf got, what, two offensive drives, and the offense couldn't do anything, and they pulled him and put Walsh in. And Walsh led them to the victory in that game. He was the right guy for that game. But what happened by uh, – then Walsh started playing poorly. They lost to West Virginia, where they had no business losing to, partially because Walsh wasn't playing well. They were losing to Kansas State, partially because Walsh wasn't playing well. Eventually, they they put Shelf back in, and the rest of 2013 was, was history. Um I, he talked about Alex Cape. You know, Alex Cape got his chance, but they pulled him because he wasn't doing well, and they put in Whedon. I can see with this Oregon State game, them trying to fit, use this game to figure out who the hot hand is. I mean, here's the deal: it's a Friday night game on the other side. You know, all the way out in in Corvallis, Oregon, against a Power Five team. Not the not the perfect situation to still be trying to figure out who your quarterback is. On the other hand, if you're going to have to face a Power Five team on the road in your season opener to figure out who your quarterback is, you you could you can't do a whole lot worse than Oregon State outside of maybe Kansas. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's not. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm as concerned as you are, Joel. Um, I think there are bigger concerns for this team than the quarterback situation. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I'm not trying to be so cynical to think that, you know, oh, Spencer Sanders isn't that good and stuff. But it, to me, it is a little bit if he's as good as we all think he is and as all we've been told about how good he is that he hasn't separated himself. But I trust that fall camp will hopefully show a little bit more. I imagine we'll see both play. I would imagine by hopefully game maybe four or five that he has solidified himself as the starter, if not earlier. Uh, I, I think separation is different for different coaches because I, I, I think this is a topic we're talking about. I think separation is different for different coaches because separation for one coach may be this guy's ceiling is so much higher. We got to play him. Separation for Gundy, I think, is whose ceiling is higher. Who's got, yeah. And I think in this case, Drew Brown is, and that's why Drew Brown is still in this. I think Drew Brown. You mean that his floor is higher? Not sorry. His, yes, his floor is higher. It, so. It, I think Gundy thinks about that a lot. I think that really matters when Gundy makes a quarterback decision is who has the is less about who has the higher ceiling moving forward and more about who has the higher floor right now because that's the guy who we think right now will get us more wins because winning now does matter. Like I, I know we talk about we should use the young guy because he's gonna he may take some bumps along the way, but that's gonna set us up for more success down the line. That's a great mindset in the NFL. You can't really do that. Like we think of that from a from a fan base perspective because we look at the team as this long from it from a longevity standpoint of long term success. These are guys who are going to play three four years. You got seniors on this team. How do you tell your seniors, hey, we're going to go to the young guy? We we think he's going to have some some rough games. Um, we're not sure if he gives us the best chance to win right away, but we think for the longevity of the program, this is the right move. And I think that's yeah. something that he thinks about. Yeah. 
Well, and he talked he talked a lot about making less mistakes this next year than they did last year. And I think that that's something that, like you were talking about, I think that that's something that he's thinking about even with the quarterback situation. He wants he wants to make as few mistakes as possible. And it's a question of does Drew Brown do that? Does he is he going to end up making less mistakes than Spencer Genders would? And I, I think it, I, th- I think so. I think since he has more experience it, you know, yes, it was with Hawaii, but it's still college football experience and Spencer Sanders doesn't have that. So I think that that's something that Gundy is looking at too. Yeah. The, the, uh, and I got half the quote, but essentially he was talking about, it, he was like, he says, I know, I know Drew's played, but he's just getting started in our system. You have to be effective in the way you work, not necessarily in a manner that tries to take over the game or take the game over, but just play the game. Right. I think that says everything about Gundy. It goes back to, I don't care as much about, can you light the world on fire? Is can you make the fewest mistakes? If you are the guy I think makes will make the fewest mistakes then the then the having the highest ceiling is just icing on the cake. Yeah, I see that. I don't. We will obviously work. I'm sure Philip or you and I are going to talk about this a lot more over the next couple of weeks. I don't want to stick with it for too long. But so this is kind of OSU related. But I want to ask about Les Miles. Ugh. Was his press conference as weird as I saw it to be on Twitter? Yes. Because I've was, seen people talk about how bizarre he was, and I'm like, okay, it's less miles, like we all kind of know that, but what happened? So he comes in and he starts his opening statement, and and then he basically is like, before we get started with the questions, I want to talk, talk about a situation that we had happened in the off season, referring to Puka Williams and proceeds to read a written statement that was not good. I didn't, I didn't think so anyway, um, about, you know, how essentially it wasn't KU's decision to only suspend him for a game and like all this stuff. And his tone was weird as he was reading the statement. And like, I don't know, it was just, it was awkward. So, so basically what he was saying was that it was the administration's decision, not his. Uh, they made the call on the one-game suspension, and, and he kind of stayed out of it, which is – if that's the case, then we need to you – know, I, I think someone on Twitter is like, if that's the case, then the administration needs to be the one up there answering questions about Puka Williams, not Les Miles, because obviously Les Miles has nothing to do with it and doesn't know anything. Um, and I will echo Micah. He was – Les has always had, when, when doing press conferences and talking, a, a really sneaky way of kind of avoiding answering questions. Like, he'll give you like a half answer. He did that here, but it didn't feel like it was intentional Les Miles sneakiness. It felt more like he got lost in his answers as he was going. He just didn't seem all there. And, you know, his introductory press conference was kind of that way too. And I... It doesn't give me a lot of hope for th- for him at Kansas. Like I, I never thought he was going to be hugely successful there. I thought he he's going he might pave the way for the next guy. And look, he's doing great on the recruiting trail. Like he is. Like for Kansas, they're doing very well, and I think that's more important than winning press conferences right now. But he's yet to win a press conference, which is weird for Les Miles. Yeah, I agree. And he also talked about how. 
what he inherited at KU was better than what he inherited at Oklahoma oh. State, which I was like, uh. <laughs> okay, hold up. All right, so here's the deal on that. And let's be honest right now. A, someone was going to ask the question of how does the roster right now compare to when you got to Oklahoma State, which was also in a rebuild mode when he got there. I would have asked the question if someone else hadn't. It was the question that was going to be asked. And it's because you knew, and, and I feel bad for coaches because we, in, everyone in the media does this, and it's got to be annoying. What answer did you expect him to give? Like, what answer did you think he's going to give? You know what? My team at OSU, and, because look, we'll look at that roster when he got there. Um, there's some guys, I think, Rashawn Woods, maybe that name sounds familiar. Josh, Josh Fields. Fields, that name sounds familiar. Um, was Kevin Peterson? I, the point is, you go look at that roster. No, that roster was far better than the one he has at Kansas right now. But what do you expect him to say? Like, you know yeah. what? That OSU roster was so much better than what the garbage I have at Kansas. Right? Like, maybe there's a way to kind of not give the answer, but give the answer. But again, he's not doesn't seem all on his game at this kind of stuff. So he gave the answer a we wanted, and we all thought we were going to get. I'm not going to like. I'm not going to throw him under the bus for literally being set up for this and then giving us what we wanted. And it's all like, oh, could he dare say that? Like he said, what he's going to say. Like that's what we all expected him to say. Right. Yeah. If if nothing else, even if KU is a disaster this year, the memes will continue to be glorious from Kansas. So at least we'll have that, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Give me more memes. I need it because <laughs> I just. Football season. Almost, almost here. It's it's this is gonna be it's gonna be interesting for sure this this upcoming season. I I had like I had like I said I, as I mentioned on the last podcast I haven't quite gotten into football season yet just because I've been in baseball mode and completely you know entrenched myself in it with this you know the job that I have and all that. But I needed my football fix the other day, and I watched the second half of the West Virginia-Oklahoma State game on YouTube because I knew that if I watched the first half, I was just going to get pissed. But I I was going to watch some good football in the second half, and it was so great. I'm so glad I did that. I needed it more than I ever thought I did. I need to start doing that. I need to start watching old games. I need it just for the sake of going, oh – we actually did have some good moments last year because you just look at six and seven and six and go, oh, that kind of sucked. But in the end of the day, there were some there were some bright and shining moments in there somewhere. Yeah. For so, sure. any other media day takeaways? Anybody? You got anything? I think, like I was saying earlier, I think it's going to be an interesting year in the Big Twelve with all the new coaches. Not necessarily. You know, they might not be necessarily new to college football or even head coaching, but they're new to the conference. And um, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see where that kind of middle of the pack ends up. Uh, Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, and Iowa State. It's That's going to be kind of an interesting... Oh, no, 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 no. Iowa State is not middle. I'm not sure I can throw Iowa State... In the well, middle of the I pack. Mean, I, I there I is a like, group of uh, there's a TCU Baylor OSU group, and I'll agree there. And I'm not sure how that one's going to shake out. Like, mm. okay. just, do we want to do? I'm not. I'm not giving. I mean, I already gave my record prediction away on my show, so I guess it does not big. I have OSU going eight and four. Like, I'm just going to. That go. sounds about right to me. I haven't looked yeah. at it, but that sounds like something that I. It sounds about right to me. Like. 
I have I have the losses to the th- the, the top three. Iowa State. It's a road game. Texas. It's it's the. I can't imagine they can go win six straight in Austin. Like at some point, that streak's going to end, and I'm never going to pick OSU to beat OU ever again until they I, do it like times in a row. I, I will never pick Oklahoma State to beat Oklahoma ever. No, it, never. It'll and, just, never, it'll just never happen. So there's so to me the difference between okay, a seven and five. And, who's the fourth loss? Well, let me like, let me explain. Let me let me build to that. The difference to me between a seven and five and nine and three season are three. What I'm going to call toss up games. They are at Texas Tech, TCU at home, and at West Virginia for a couple of reasons. One, we're all going to dog TCU because of their quarterback battle. That defense might be the best defense in the Big 12 this year. What you people don't realize is how many injuries they had on that defense, how many young guys. OSU played young guys last year because they had to, because they didn't have anybody else. TCU played young guys because all their se- their upperclassmen got hurt. All those upperclassmen are back, so now all those se- all those young guys that were like finishing second and third team Big Twelve are backups behind the first stringers who are all really good. Like that backfield for TCU is going to be really good. That defense could carry them to a ten win season, even if Alex Delton is the starter at quarterback all year long. Like that, I have really, I'm just I'm just like. I think we've all been kind of underselling what TCU is going to be because we're not talking about the defense enough. Baylor, they did on the road four times. I'm not counting them. Like I just, I don't, I, I think they're good, but not great. West Virginia and Texas tech. Like I have Texas tech's the fourth loss because OSU loses a game every year. They shouldn't. It's usually early in the season. It's a road game. I think tech wins six games this year. I think, Yost is a legit offensive coordinator. And from talking to some of the Texas Tech players, the thing that they all kept saying that set Mount Wells apart from Cliff Kingsbury is really discipline, is bringing a level of discipline to the team just in 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 the way they handle things that Cliff did not. Cliff was a cool guy. Cliff wanted to be your friend. Cliff wanted to run the offense. Cliff would is not a hard-nosed um, was not a hard-nosed guy. And I think that, more than anything, is why their defense has always sucked under Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not saying Tech's only going to be awesome, but I see them as a six-win team. And I think OSU, going to Lubbock, who will probably be excited because they've got a new coach and Alan Bowman is back, as long as he doesn't have a collapsed lung, I have that one circled as a loss. The other one I considered was at West Virginia just because it's at the end of the it's the second to last game of the season. I think Neil Brown is a hell of a coach and should have that team playing well. But of those three, the TCU, West Virginia, Texas Tech, those are the games that are going to decide if OSU is a seven and five team or a nine and three, which is why I have them eight and four. Yeah, I think the TCU game will be really interesting because it somehow over the last couple of years, it feels like whenever a game is really kind of mucked up and just like ugly, Oklahoma State has found a way to either stay in those games or win them. The one that I can think of namely is that game in Austin two years ago. But so I think, and then with that game being at home, I think I give Oklahoma State the advantage there at West Virginia is interesting, but I think that it's just not this year for West Virginia the Texas Tech game, I, I agree with you. I can see that one being a loss. For me, it kind of boils down to whether it's a night game or an 11 a.m. game. If it's a night game, I'm a little more nervous because night yeah. games in Lubbock are just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, and I that TCU if, game is the 
that three game stretch by week Baylor for homecoming who's going to be itching to get a marquee win at Iowa State and then back home for TCU who's going to be the favorite that'll that'll make that is the most that is the most difficult three game stretch to me on the schedule I agree yeah I I, yeah I I think Iowa State's just going to boat race us um I I think think that Purdy is good, but that was also the first game and no one knew what to expect from Brock Purdy. I think that it's like any quarterback who's good and that first game where they come out and you have no game plan for them, you're like, well, shit. Now they do. What happened to OSU with Baylor in 2015? (laughs) What happens to OSU every time a backup quarterback comes? Yeah, exactly. Every quarterback becomes an (laughs) All-American. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like that Iowa State game could go either way. I feel like they're either going to – Iowa State's going to win in a landslide or it's going to be really close, and it's going to go into, like, multiple overtimes, crazy aim stuff. I'm probably not going to have hair by the end of this season. I just feel it. My hairline has continued to recede every football season, and I know it's just going to keep getting worse. So I've at least enjoyed not watching football for a few months, so that's been nice. But I know it's just going to come right back. Oh man! All right, well, we're getting off the rails like we did on the last podcast, so we probably should wrap this up. Yep. All right, Philip, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me personally at OKTXAR Poke, or follow my show, the Ten Twelve. Are you are you good? Yeah. You got the sorry. black lung over there. Sorry. Been, been okay. down in the mines. Okay. Uh, you can follow my show, the 1012 podcast, T E N, the number 12, the word podcast. We will have our Oklahoma State most important game episode um, up this Friday with um, Frank, uh, Frank Bonner, who is the new OSU beat writer for the Tulsa World. Micah? You can follow me personally at Micah Allen18 and follow Cowboys Ride for Free for. More content from Media Days. I still have got some articles that I want to pump out from that. Um, so be on the lookout for those. And obviously, as the offseason goes on, we're going to be posting different stuff. Um, so just keep an eye out. Follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the Twitter page at Cowboys RFF. Like Micah said, we got tons of content coming out. A little more stuff from Big 12 Media Days, and we're getting dangerously close to football season, so we'll have even more content there. And we will talk to you guys on the next episode.